Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. With over 200,000 locations throughout the U.S. and offering 12,000 different types of batteries, stop into your local Interstate Battery store today and let them help you find the right batteries for your everyday life. Welcome, folks, to the Freshwater Bite Podcast, your source for everything freshwater fishing. I'm your host, Lee Kleino, and on this podcast, you will hear from diehard anglers like yourself, the backstories of those anglers, techniques they use, gear reviews, and everything in between. So if you like fishing, turn it up, because this episode's about to kick off right now. Hey, thanks for joining me here. Thanks for coming back for another episode of the podcast. Hey, before we get started, if you guys could do me a solid. This week is my birthday on Friday, and you could do me a huge solid. You could uh, you know, make my birthday or birthday week a little bit brighter. If you, you know, follow me on Instagram at freshwaterbite and or head on over to my Facebook page and follow the Freshwater Bite podcast on Facebook and continue to share my episodes on uh, social and or leave me a review on iTunes and things like that. That would help me out so much and that would make my week and uh, make my year if you did that. So um, thank you very much. But on today's episode, I am joined by John Lee, uh, who is on Instagram and is known as the Kalamazoo River Guide. And John has his own guide business on the Kalamazoo River. And we get into the details of what it's like, not only guiding on the Kalamazoo River, but a unique way, not really unique, but unique to me, um, is uh, he uses a, a fly rod for the most part to to chase after smallmouth pike and, and carp. And if you haven't, if you're not aware of John, uh, go on to Instagram and his uh, Instagram name is Kalamazoo underscore river underscore guide. And check out some of his photos. The guy is just posting some massive fish, uh, for the most part, all caught on a fly rod. And, you know, I get John to uh, slowly open up throughout the podcast and tell us more about how to get into, you know, um, fly fishing for these for these types of uh, species of fish that uh, maybe you can do in your local body of water or a river or wherever. Um, it's something that I definitely want to venture into and get more into, and um, I'm making it a goal for myself to do so. But uh, as the podcast progresses on, you can see John's passion start to pour through, not only for the Kalamazoo River, but also uh, fly fishing in areas of, of Michigan um, and flats in, uh, up, up by the Straits of Mackinac. And also, we also talk about conservation and giving back rather than taking all the time. And John makes some really good points, and uh, he's the type of guy who... You know, I'm glad is out there promoting the sport and uh, helping to recruit future anglers and to keep anglers. So here's John. John, you there, man? Yep. All right. Thanks for agreeing to do the podcast. Really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, no problem. Hey, so, you know, the reason how I came across you was I was on Instagram and there was a lot of cool shots uh, that kept catching my eye of you, um, out in your area of where you fish. And I thought it was very unique, uh, the kind of style that you have for fishing, which is obviously on a fly rod. Um, but I thought that that was very unique to the type of fish that you were going after. And, uh, it seems like you, you, you really like to go after carp, smallmouth, and pike. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's correct. How did you get yeah. into that? As a kid. Just that's, that's what I grew up doing. Okay. Um, I'm born and raised in Kalamazoo. Okay, and then tell the folks the body of water that you that typically you cut your teeth on. The middle section of the Kalamazoo River. Okay. So everything from you know Battle Creek all the way to Allegan. And I spent my time bouncing around there as a kid. I had a 14-foot John boat with three-and-a-half horse, old Johnson that I had to rush and fix it all the time, had to beat it to death to get it to run. <laughs> my parents would drop me off, and I'd be turned loose. Did you start off with the fly rod, or did you start conventional? I started off as uh, conventional. Uh, and then when I was nine, picked up a, a fire out for the first time. Do you remember? Yeah. Do you remember what got you to, you know, to lean towards the fly rod versus the conventional? Like what, I mean, was it just something that you wanted to try that was different or did something, you know, did someone point you in that direction? That's something I saw. It's, uh, my great uncle. Um, I would go and uh, spend time with him during the summer and all we would do is fish. And that was it. Um, for weeks on end during my summer vacations. And I watched him fly fishing through gills out of the farm pond that was behind his house. That's awesome. I said, I gotta, I gotta learn that. I gotta figure that out. And he taught me. And throughout the years, bounced back and forth between conventional gear and then fly back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It's just something I always had in my back pocket as, as a fisherman. And, um, that was that. Now, okay. So you're growing up and you switch over to the fly or the, the fly rod. Can you tell us about some of the hiccups or some of the pains of going from conventional to fly? you know, especially if someone wants to start getting into it, what did you kind of notice um, when you were transitioning over to the fly rod? It was the whole, it was the whole thing. It was all the way from the knots to tie to the equipment to get to what to use actually on the water. Um, it was everything. I had the opportunity to have help okay. by people all along the way of, folks from the local fly shop, my uncle, um, you know, the list of people that goes on quite a ways that helped me out throughout the years, you know, Mm -hmm. um, that was the biggest thing. That was the, and then when you started to go into the, cause you're a guide too, correct? Yep. So what got you into guiding I mean is that something that you just wanted to teach others how to do after learning how to um, catch them on a fly or do you still teach conventional too with your customers well, I still uh, I do either or okay. I, I personally don't mind how people fish um, if they want to do a conventional fishing trip and that's what we do okay if they want to pick up a fly rod we'll go and we'll pick up a fly rod um you know, now 
when I got started into the guiding thing, it was in 2005. And I, you know, this is before social media and everything. I was sick and tired of seeing all these amazing places to fish in these magazines, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I wanted to go see them. I wanted to be in those places. I wanted to experience these fisheries. And unfortunately, I don't have a trust fund or a helicopter. So I had to work my way through it. Right. And I said, well, love to fish. Why don't I try the whole guide thing? And I started writing letters. I started writing letters all over the West. Where were you living at the time? In Michigan. Oh, in Michigan. Okay. In Michigan. Yep. And, uh, finally got a response. Finally got a response from a place in Colorado. And the guy and him, him and myself, we talked and he said, listen, I'm going to give you a shot. Going to give you a shot. And uh, give you some give you some shop hours, lead up into guiding. You can sleep on the couch in the back. You know, the only the only words of uh, the only uh, warning he gave me is if I stole from him, I'd never see Michigan again. I drove out there and started my guiding. Where did you start your guiding on out there? Um, Pike's Peak National Forest, a bunch of tributaries through there, Cheeseman okay. Canyon. Um, and then went to Wyoming and all, all in all spent 10 years on the road guiding, traveling between Alaska and the Gulf wow. before I finally settled back here and started guiding on the Kalamazoo River, which I grew up fishing. So, so going back to some of the stuff that you did out west, what type of fish were mm-hmm. you? What type of <clears throat> sorry? What type of fish were you? You know, chasing after in those rivers for the most part. It was trout. Okay. It was trout, um, both out of a raft and on foot. Do you think that was? a great way to get into it. Are you glad that, you know, you kind of went out there and kind of gave it your all. Basically you, you packed up and moved out there. Um, you you know, there's a lot of folks that are scared to do that kind of thing, especially at, I'm not sure how old you were at the time, but you know, something like a passion like you have for, for fly fishing and and river fishing, you know, to go all in on it like that, you know, is is that a great way for someone who's younger to, you know, do the same kind of thing? Oh, you know, if that's what you want to do, it doesn't matter how old you are. You should go do it. I mean, I was younger when I did it. I would have been um, 17. I was 17 years old when I I went and did that. I had 500 bucks in my pocket and a full tank of gas. And that was just... Just that leap I took, you know, not exactly knowing 
how everything was going to go or who I would run across. And, you know, it turned out absolutely incredible. What did you notice as you were going out west? Obviously, the fish are, the fish are different. The scenery is different. What did you know this, that was different? And then what do you, what, how did you take that knowledge of what you learned out west to bring back to your home body of water in Michigan? Uh, well, I, I couldn't believe how easy it was. That was out west. Okay. Yeah, I could not believe how easy it was. Um, you know, granted, granted, it still had its very technical days, and sometimes it just was difficult to put together. But for the most part, I couldn't believe how easy it was coming from Michigan, coming from, you know, the majority of my trout experience on a couple of very small tributaries of the Kalamazoo River, which are stocked with brown trout, and then the Pure Marquette, and then a little bit on the Muskegon. Right. You know, that was, uh, compared to that stuff, it was easy. It was just, I mean, get it out there, catch fish, is what it seemed like to me. Um, yeah, because I got I, I to gotta think, like, just me thinking, I've never, I, I fished out west in Yellowstone, and obviously I had a guide with me, but going out there, you feel, mm-hmm. you feel a little bit more intimidated, right? Especially being from the Midwest, you're like man, it looks so much more intense out West, the river systems, you know, things like that. And for you to hear, you know, for you to say that, um, you know, you found it somewhat easy. So it must've been something, you know, growing up here in the Midwest and learning on these rivers out there, it just seemed to, to click for you. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's tough here. I mean, it's, it's tough, you know, um, one thing that was, a little bit of a change for me were, you know, really big fish eating, eating stuff on top, lighter tippets, you know, stuff like that. Our big fish here, the majority of the time they, they fall to streamers right? or at night for the most part, you know, with a few exceptions throughout this, throughout the year. But, you know, out there, you're putting really big fish on, on some pretty light tackle at times. You know, so that was kind of the learning curve there. And You know, what I took from it, you know, the things that I learned out there, I almost on every trip, I actually throw it fast, those, those techniques, and it's deadly. It's absolutely deadly. You know, um, for instance, dead drifting a popper with a twitch. Okay. It's devastating. You know, everybody thinks of a popper. You think of, you know, slack backwater stuff. It has to be moving. It has to be working. But dead drifted and twitched popper is absolutely deadly for bass. Yeah, you know, you know, it's it's something that I've, I've always wanted to get into. I, I grew up in the the Southeast part of Michigan on like the river raisin and stuff like that. And then, um, I fished the mommy as well. And it seems like, you know, the, those two rivers alone are huge smallmouth fisheries and, 
it seems like the bass Absolutely. Would, they, they would they would eat at all times of year but then i would also see these guys go out there with these fly rods and just just that top water action for some reason they would they'd be catching them when i wasn't when i was on my conventional stuff you know tossing spinners or whatever i was throwing light spoons and things like that and it seems like that top water action especially during the hatches in the summertime you're almost better off on top of the water than you are underneath it too far you know what i mean in the rivers absolutely you know and i've always wanted oh, to go I, i've always wanted to go down that path of the fly rod stuff but to be I, i've never picked one up here in in the midwest and done it and i'm that's why i kind of wanted to get you on the podcast uh to share with us all about how to get into that kind of stuff oh yeah absolutely it's guides are excellent resources and i can't speak enough for the old brick and mortar fly shop yeah. Walking in there and just, or, or booking a trip with a guide, talking on the phone and setting the expectations for the trip and saying, I want to learn. Yeah. That seems to be a recurring, you know, thing. that seems to be an occurring thing on this podcast is when we talk about how how effective and how well worth your money is if you take a guide out if there's a certain type of species you want to go after or the technique or way that they go after them for you and you wanted to learn to add that to your arsenal um to hire a guide and do it it's really the best bang for your buck it depends on the guide well yeah yeah <laughs> it definitely depends on the guide. <laughs> it, it depends on the guide you know um that's that's what i mean about talking ahead of time and going over what your expectations are for the trip. You know, I know for me personally, if somebody wants to go out and smallmouth fish, um, you know, aside from a few suggestions I made throughout, um, throughout the course of the trip, you know, I run that thing much differently than what I would somebody saying, okay, I want to learn. I mean, all the way down to the water, the section of water that I'm going to run. You know what I mean? So it's... Yeah. No, I I, I get it. I'd be that guy. I'd be like, yeah. hey, I want to learn everything. I don't care if we don't catch any fish today, but I want to I know what you look for in the river. I want to know about the fly rod that I'm holding, the reel, you know, the line, the flies that we're throwing. That's the kind of stuff that I think that would be valuable to, you know, to get into for someone like me. That's what I want to learn. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's, like I said, it just comes down to walking into the shop, getting on the phone with a guide and saying, hey, listen, I want to learn. This is where my skill set is at now. You know, let's book up a day or let's spend some time at the shop and work on getting better, you know. Yeah. So let's get into that a little bit. Let's say, you know, someone like myself, take me as an example. If I wanted to go out and let's say buy a fly rod and a reel, could you give Mm -hmm. me, could you give me kind of a basic setup of where you think would be a good way to start, how to practice all that kind of stuff? Yeah. You know, for bass, you know, a saltwater six or seven weight, are really nice rods. And what I mean by a saltwater six is, uh, something that's usually a lot faster. Okay. It's got a little bit more backbone to it. Um, kind of a rod, a nine foot all the way. 
you know, don't, uh, don't need to go any longer. You don't definitely don't need to go any shorter and a regular weight forward floating line. And the reel is just something, you know, that's going to match up with the rod and balance it out. Well, okay. You know, and that's, you know, there again, back to the, the old fly shop, it's putting it together, putting it in your hands and then feeling it out. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and then a short leader, um, seven, seven and a half foot leader is a good starting point. And then there's different ways to kind of start practicing. You always see guys like on YouTube and things like that, setting out a coffee can and kind of just practicing going back and forth and seeing if you can hit the coffee can or whatever it is. Is that kind of like the technique of how you learn just on dry land first, just getting the feel for the rod and how it flies in the air, all that kind of stuff? No, no, you, uh, no, the, the biggest thing is getting the timing down, giving the timing down the start, the stop and the pause in between that timing is what makes and breaks your casts. Okay. Keeping the rod straight up and straight down, you know, not dropping your arm off to the side, not breaking your wrist. It's those things there that will deliver the accuracy. Okay. So it's more of the form thing that you need to work on first. And it's very difficult. It takes time. It takes a whole lot of love and patience. And then when you're starting off, it's really difficult to know when you've got it, when you don't. You know, if you're fishing with a guide, he or she will be able to tell you. Okay. Do you, you know. Yeah, if, if you're doing it right or not. Do you see a lot of their first timers when they come out to do fly rods and things like that, and, and that that's the way that they want to learn how to do? Do you see... I mean, I'm sure you see the frustration and all that kind of stuff, but by the end of the trip, more times than not, are those customers hooked on the fly way or is, do you see them reverting back to conventional? Not that you have to go with one or the other, but I guess what I'm asking is how is a first timer's perspective most of the time after stepping off your boat or out of the river with the fly rod in their hand? Um, they feel really good. They, they, they feel really good about it. Um, most of the time they've already, they've already spent a pretty significant amount of time playing with it on their own, casting it in the yard, maybe off of the dock, something like that. Right. Yep. And then they've gone through that initial frustration of, you know, why is this not coming together? Why is this not coming together? And maybe they, for instance, walk into the fly shop here in Kalamazoo and like, hey, listen, you know, I need some help here. This is not going well. Um, 
and then they give me a call. Right, and you try to help, give faci- me a call. help facilitate them to the next step? It, absolutely. Break them of the bad habits that they got going on and then move forward, you know, and then point out, point out exactly when it comes together. And it's, it's an all day thing. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it doesn't stop throughout the entire day. You know, they'll throw 20, 30 minutes together of really good casting and then lose it, you know, because they get tired or it just, they revert back to what they had been practicing for a month or whatever the case may be. Right. And then it's, you start over again, start over get them back casting again. You then know, the day goes on. And then yeah. after it's all said and done, after it's all said and done, they leave with much better habits and then a, a whole different outlook on the thing. Yeah. Do you have customers, you know, do, do you find you have customers coming back to you after, you know, let's say it's their first time out with them and then, you know, they want to come back and say, Hey, uh, can you take me, to this next step or can I go after this species now? Can you tell me how to cast for them or, 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 or go after this type of species within, you know, within the river system or whatever they want to target? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I gotta, yeah, I, I gotta think every, every different time. kind of fish has got to be a little bit different the way that you're, you know, with the, the, the body of water that you're reading different areas within the river, along the river of what species you're going after. And, you know, I'm sure not every cast and every technique is going to be the same for, for each species when it comes to casting to these things. It's not. No, there's a whole other learning curve to throwing a sink tip and big flies for bass to top water to carp, uh, you know, keeping it short and, and uh, accurate for pike, you know. Um, yeah, it's definitely uh, almost every almost every angler that I have approached me about taking the trip, wanting to learn for the first time, comes back. So you know, if you were to give a suggestion to a first time um, angler getting into the the this type of fishing, um, let's say specifically here in the Midwest, is there a certain type of species and or setup that you would recommend with going after first, like, Hey, this is a great way to, for you to cut your teeth on learning this technique, um, or, or, or looking at these bodies of water to catch this fish before moving on to the next one. Cause I got to think that, you know, it's got, it's probably a whole different animal from species to species, whether you're going for carp, pike, smallmouth, whatever on the fly rod. Is there a certain one that you recommend starting off with? Bass. 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 They're so forgiving. Okay. They are, you know, uh, even on the medium to even poor presentation, they'll still eat, mm-hmm. you know, um, that's, you know, if you're going to do moving water, if you're going to do moving water, then hopping actually in the water, walking and wading around, casting things around, same thing, floating line short leader with a clouser. Okay. And, um, you know, it's, it's, 
it's a fish that's pretty happy to eat just about anything. And the nice thing about it is the clouser catches everything. So you could run into a pike, you could run into a carp, you could run into a bass. You know, it's one of those kind of catch-all flies. And what? So if you're if you're let's say we're going and moving water on a river system or whatever it is, what you know. I'm familiar with fishing like Northern Michigan with, you know, we're, we're finding kind of those deep, cool pools of, of water for, um, or slower areas of, of the river of kind of like where deep pockets sit for, you know, like uh, steelhead or, um, even sometimes the salmon will sit in those kind of things. What are you looking for for like bass? For smallmouth, you're looking for seams, rocks, pools, your traditional looking trout trout okay trout looking stuff. waters okay good yeah yeah um for largemouth bass you're looking for more quiet water you know slack water talk kind of away from from current um they aren't they aren't a fan they don't they don't seem to really care for the uh the moving water stuff so okay. If you do find a, a piece of water that's got largemouth in it, usually it's going to be pretty slow. Um, you know, it's just kind of looking for backwater stuff. Right. You know, it's, you know, fortunately here in Michigan, you have a really hard time uh, running across the piece of moving water that doesn't have smallmouth bass in it. You know, any, yep. from any tributary, from the Kalamazoo River to the St. Joe to the Grand. Uh, basically, everywhere you go, you're going to find smallmouth bass. Yeah. And targeting that traditional trout-looking stuff with a clouser on a floating line. We'll catch fish. Yeah. You know, the other kind of stuff that I see that you you do and not a lot of folks probably are aware about it in, in, in the state of Michigan, but kind of the, the flats that, that you can target like on the, like on a great Lake or something like that for carp and things like that, mm-hmm. spawning carp. Um, can you mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that and, and, and what that type of bite is like? Yeah, I fish wilderness state park, which is going to be the 11 miles West of the Mackinac bridge. Mm-hmm. It's an uh, island chain. Uh, it shoots out to the west even further towards Beaver Island, Hog Island area. And it is this massive expanse of, of flats that you can walk and wade very comfortable. It's like as close as we can get to clear water fishing in, in Florida or something like that in a flats area. It's, it's very, very comparable to that, yes. Yeah. Um, it's massive. Like it's uh, it's a massive area, and it all looks good as far as a, a fisherman's standpoint. You know, if, if you've got a little bit of fishing and have been successful out on the water a few times, and you walk to this place or boat to this place, then you start looking around and you can just envision fish being everywhere. And they're not. Um, 
you know, they're actually pretty specific on, on where they where they call home during that time of year while they're up there. Now, are you sight fishing these fish, or, 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 or is there certain something that you're looking for in the water, like rocks, or sunken rocks and things like that, or, or can you actually see these fish out, off in the distance? Nope. No, it's all sight fishing. It's all sight fishing, okay. Yep, bass, pike, musky, carp. You have a chance to see these fish before you make a cast to them, which is nice. Um, most of the time. You know, some people, you know, if they actually have a chance to see the fish first, they get pretty worked up. Okay. They get pretty worked up and then actually blow the shot that they get, you know, okay. from being excited. Um, it's something I've done for several years now and continue to go back personally and with, with clients. Um it is absolutely incredible. The fish make their way up there uh, the first part of June and then hang out until maybe the first or second week in July. And then they're gone. They push off. They push off deeper. They're up there specifically for the reason to spawn. Are you talking so, just carp or are you talking all those species that you just mentioned? Smallmouth, pike, musky? All all those species. All those species, okay. Yep, yep, yep. They're, they're all up there to do their thing. And uh, uh, the, the, as far as the, the pike and, and muskie go, they seem to follow along with the rest of the fish moving up there to where they can feed and, you know, yep. predate on the, the bass and everything else that's up there. Uh the carp and bass are there specifically to spawn. And then once that's done, they'll hang around for a little bit and then they push off. They push off to deep water and we won't be back until next year. Is there a certain you know? type of species that you like going for more on the flats over others? Like, hey, this is the reason why I kind of come up here. Because I see some awesome pics of some huge carp that you catch. I got to imagine that's a blast on a fly rod. It's incredible. Absolutely. The sight fishing those, watching them eat, you know, the fight in general is incredible. Either one will do for me. Um, <laughs> the nice thing about it is they eat the same, they eat the same flies. And what, and what were some of those flies that you were mentioning earlier? Gobies, clousers. Okay. Um, uh, you know, generic crayfish patterns, stuff like that. Okay. Carp out in the Great Lakes are meat eaters. They uh, they don't spend a lot of time digging up insects or anything like that. So they they eat the same things the bass do. Yeah, they look so like it. They're huge. Yes. So it's <laughs> one of those things where as you're going along, you have opportunities at both. You you know, you see a bass, you cast, you catch it. You see a group of carp coming in, you set up, you make a cast, you, you hook one, you know? All right. It's, it's kind of nice where you don't have to be switching around gear, leaders, or anything like that. You just cast, catch fish. 
Yeah, and I think um, I think the flats area would be a cool spot for you to learn, even if you're you're not the best caster and you're not prepared for you know like a flowing water system where it's a little more narrow or something like that. You've got the whole lakeshore just about, and you've got a huge body of water out in front of you. You know, regardless, in addition to sight fishing oh, yeah, and going after fish, it, I I the reason why I'm kind of drawn to it is I'm like, dude, I. I don't know how to cast. I'd probably want to start off on like an open body of water like that or an inland lake before I went to the river system because I'd probably be a disaster on the rivers. Yeah. You know, it depends. Out there, you can have some pretty bad winds. Yeah. Which doesn't help That's anybody true. casting. All right. You know, I mean, if you have 25 miles an hour worth of wind coming in sideways and you're trying to cast in that, and you don't have your timing down and you don't have good form, then you're not going to get anywhere with it. You're going to be frustrated. And then, then you've got a five mile hike back to your truck. Jeez. After that. Yeah. So it's a massive area. Like I was saying again, it's absolutely massive. Um, yeah, one thing about the Great Lakes, it might not be windy up by the road, but when you walk out to the water and you get out there, the wind could be a lot more brutal out there than it is on on the mainland. Oh, it absolutely can, yes. And it can also come up quickly, too. Yeah. You know, it's it's an interesting place. Interesting place. I've got several people now that I've had out there that are very trippy well-traveled, accomplished anglers from the Keys, Florida, Belize. And they're right. It looks just like the Florida Keys. The water does. Yeah. Yeah. I live in the, the I live in the Traverse area and it's just, I always tell folks that all the time. It's just like the great lakes up in that area for some reason, you wouldn't think it, but it looks like the Keys and, um, you know, the Caribbean down there, that water is gin clear. It's incredible. We're very fortunate. Yeah. Yes. Do you do you chase the uh, the salmon run or the steelhead run at all with uh, on the fly? I don't anymore. Um. At one point in time, I did. I've completely moved away from that. Um. You just. I am just. I'm I'm not a fan of of uh, shoulder to shoulder. Yeah, that's why I figured it might fishing. be fishing. Um, now, uh, I want to say two years ago. Two years ago, I was approached by um, by a man and a woman. The woman was from Vegas. Not a whole lot of fishing there on the strip or in the desert. No. <laughs> So they approached me and said, first time ever with a fly rod, salmon season, will you go? And I said, absolutely, 100%. And somebody's first time out going, they can make the decision on from from there whether they want to continue to do it or not but if that's what somebody wants to do for their very first time ever holding the rod in their hand then of course I'll take them right you know it's important it's you know to keep this whole thing going is getting new people involved and 
interested and you know you get them hooked by going out there putting that rod in their hand and then having them positively interact with a resource you know whether that be a lake or a river you know it doesn't matter um, I think that's an important point that you're bringing across right here because I think that's what gets lost it seems in in modern day is your attachment to the resource you know one thing that we deal with in up by us in Traverse and you know Manistee you know Beulah area is the trash that folks leave on the river and it's really given the salmon mm-hmm. run a bad name and it makes folks like myself or just like you said you don't want to stand shoulder to shoulder with folks or but just the the conditions of the river and the way some folks treat the river has really been pissing me off in the last couple of years and it get well, like, like you said, you know, it get, or I feel it gives the salmon run a bad a, a bad name, and it doesn't have to be. It do, it does, it does. But you also have to understand that the majority of people, the majority of people, when they head out into the outdoors, whether now it be the woods or whether it be on the water, their mindset, their mentality is, "What can I take?" Yeah, that's and true. a lot of people, and a lot of people will never have that thought race through their head of, "Well, what could I do to give back?" Yep. I Whether agree. it be limited, limited time, they're out there for their own enjoyment. They're out there for their own personal reasons, and they're there to take. Yep. Now, very few people, very few people will ever hit the water or head out into the woods and say, well, how could I give back something? And that's, that's, that's fine. If that's, you know, if that's, uh, that's why there's laws, you know, if you're there just to take, you know, don't litter. <laughs> right. You know, take, take only what you're allowed to, um, when you're allowed to do it. And that's fine. That's why those laws exist for the people who walk out there and think nothing other than what can I take from this? You know, the the people who grow an attachment to a place, you know, ultimately start thinking, I was no different. I was no different at one point in time. I walked out there wanting to catch a fish, not thinking at all about later on down the road. You know, it wasn't until I, I had significant time outdoors and, it, and had done the things that I'd wanted to do where I started thinking to myself, well, you know, how can I leave this better than when I showed up? Well, I think a lot of folks just aren't self-aware and they take it for granted. Like you said, you you were part of it. I've been guilty of it too. But if you stop to think out there on – you know, for me, you know, it, it could be a random Tuesday night and you're standing in the, the river and you got it to yourself and, you know, <laughs> there's salmon all around me and you just, sometimes you think you just have a moment where it's like, this could all go away, you know, at but any, no, it absolutely can at any, at any yeah, the, the fishery could collapse. They could, they could take our, our, our access away, our public access, our public lands to do some of these great areas of river. Um, and it could all go away, but you know, 
it, it takes us to educate ourselves, become self-aware, but like you said, give back to don't always just take from the, from the ecosystems and the, and the rivers and the lakes that we're have access to. What can we do to give back? That's just, no, absolutely. and I think that's important. Like you said, like those bringing it full circle, getting those folks back into, or getting them into fishing. Like you said, for the first time, they wanted it to be with the salmon run for the first time, holding the rod and reel in their hand. It's probably a big moment. And you're like, this could, this is angler retention right here and recruitment. Absolutely. Absolutely. And a lot of it goes back to the body of water that I guide on the Kalamazoo river, mm-hmm. which has uh, a very bad reputation. How so? The, um, well, um, if you were to Google the Kalamazoo River, you would read a dozen negative things before you'd ever hear anything about fishing. You know, the Kalamazoo River is home to the biggest inland oil spill in U.S. history. That's right. A lot of folks don't know that outside of the state of Michigan. And uh, now, before the Clean Water Act in 71, you know, paper production industry development brought this river to its knees. Um, you couldn't go near it. Um, in 1952, it made the cover of time magazine for one of the biggest inland fish kills in U S history. Wow. And it wasn't until, like I said, the clean water act came into effect and, all of a sudden destroyed the industry in Kalamazoo because it was so expensive to ethically get rid of paper production chemicals, other development waste that it just had to, it shut it down. It shut it down and a few of the paper production facilities hung on until the early nineties. And then finally shut their doors. Good. So you ha- so you have this body of water with this terrible reputation. The other thing about Kalamazoo River is the limited access. It flows from Albion, which is just a little west of Detroit, all the way to Saugatuck, Lake Michigan, on the western side of the state. of the entire river is private property. Wow, really? I didn't know that. On on the section that I choose to fish, the middle section of the Kalamazoo, which is roughly, you know, right around 60 river miles, there's two access sites. That's it. Okay. So limited access and a bad reputation hasn't done wonders for this this water this watershed it's done a couple of things that have been positive the fishing's incredible and it's allowed this upper age class of fish to thrive and basically go unnoticed and because of the fish consumption advisory has made it almost a completely 100% catch and release fishery right so nobody keeps anything with Kellos really. So they have that opportunity to keep growing and keep keep doing their thing. You know, so I take out lots of people all year long 
that give me a call and say, I have made my life, I've made my livelihood in Kalamazoo, and I have never once been on the Kalamazoo River. Not once. Well, yeah, and that's... So I get to load them up. I get to load them up, and I get to take them up and down through the Kalamazoo Nature Center, up towards the... the, upstream of Comstock and I get to park them in a rapids and I get to watch them catch fish after fish after fish after fish and then get back down to the launch and have them speechless their whole life they've been here and they've never once been on the river they had no idea it was here and now all of a sudden you have somebody who's positively engaged in the resource actually going to start caring going to start caring that whatever lands on the streets in Kalamazoo eventually finds its way into the river maybe they'll stop and pick up a piece of garbage you know maybe when time comes to actually make some sort of change or you know educated vote that could change the fishery it could, you know, whether it be development or, or whatever the yeah. case may be. But now you've actually got somebody who knows what's there. And that can be a very powerful thing. When it comes to making positive, making changes and uh, making decisions and the resources benefits. And what's best for us? Well... You know, that might not be suburbia parked right on top of the river. You know what I mean? Right. Um, no, that I, one's important to me. I, it's why I was drawn to you, John, on this, on, on Instagram. It's, I think it's not only is it the way that, you know, you take new customers out that, that live in the area or even the ones that travel up and show what a great fishery it is, but it pours out on your Instagram too. And anyone who's listening to this, I suggest you check out Kalamazoo river guide, um, which is, uh, John's Instagram, but it's what got me drawn not only to you, but to open my eyes to the Kalamazoo river and what it had to offer. I live in Michigan. I wouldn't have thought it was as, um, you know, fruitful as it is with, with, uh, with, with as in a diverse of a fishery as it is. I mean, in, in these photos, you're holding up master angler size, small mouth. Um, you've got carp, trout, pike. I mean, all this kind of stuff and the photos that you take or whoever's taking them of you is phenomenal. And you're really, you're subtly promoting this in a kind of a backdoor way, um, and bringing it a new light. And I think, I think it's great what you're doing outside of the no, guide and stuff. It. So, yeah, that's the biggest thing to me. And that's what, you know, that's what keeps me grinding it out now, season after season, right. after season now. Um, you know, once the, the regulations changed here in the state, is when I finally made my, my push on the Kalamazoo. Okay. Um, so it's been four years ago now. Four years ago, the Department of Natural Resources saw fit to change the bass regulations to catch and release year-round. Rather than, you know, beforehand, you couldn't even cast for bass until Memorial Day weekend. Right. 
So I looked at it as this, this, this opportunity, this, now I've got this entire season from the warmest days in spring to the coldest days in November, I can bass fish. Yep. Yep. You so can- I made my push. I made my push and dropped the migratory stuff. Said this is what I want to do, and and uh, and it people, the, the people have uh, enjoyed it, and they keep coming back. And no, I think the, something I th- different. Yeah, and I think the way that you showed, like you said, like you can give back to the fishery, has really, you know, paid you back as well. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, man, I just hope you keep it up, and um, you know, working folks. Uh, find out more about you and uh, and what you got going on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. So check out John over at uh, Instagram. That's Kalamazoo underscore river underscore guide. And uh, thank you for your time today, John. I really appreciate it. And uh, look forward to more photos of you catching some uh, monster fish all throughout the state of Michigan and the, on the Kalamazoo River. Hey, thanks so much. All right, buddy. Thanks. There it is, guys. There's episode number 26. I want to thank John for coming on the podcast. And hey, listen, you know, fly fishing is a whole nother animal to uh, to get into, a whole nother beast to uh, try to tackle. So I'm just kind of getting, uh, you know, familiarizing myself with how to, to get into it. John is, I think, got me down the, the right path. And uh, I hope that you learn something from this, not only from the fly fishing aspect of it and uh, the different options that you can do and species that you can chase and start to get better on the fly rod with, but also, uh, you know, I think that was important at the end there with uh, John um, speaking up about giving back to the fisheries rather than always taking. So um, I think that was a great point and a great lesson for anybody listening out there or if you're ever wondering how you can do more, you know, um, look in your local bodies of water, uh, talk to your local biologist, wildlife biologist and, uh, DNR officers or whoever, and this, to see how you can get in or BHA backcountry hunters and anglers, check it out. There's always, they're always doing, um, cleanups and river cleanups and, you know, things like that and how to get involved in the community and, and the outdoors. So check out backcountry hunters and anglers as well. I'm, uh, I'm part of the chapter here in, uh, in Michigan, and uh, they're growing rapidly throughout the United States. But anyways, guys, thank you. Please subscribe to the podcast. Leave a review for my birthday. And uh, yeah, until next time, guys, we got a few big things coming up, um, and I'm traveling to do a couple podcasts. So stay tuned and take care. Thanks for listening.